0: This is First Date Stories, the podcast, the show where women in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond talk all about the first dates they've been on, from the wildly successful to the completely disastrous, and everything in between. Here's your host, Jody Klein, founder of FirstDateStories.com.
1: Hi, I'm glad you've tuned into this special episode. If you're dating with the goal of meeting a loving partner and getting married, then you'll want to hear what my guest has to say. Marsha Naomi Berger has a master's in social work and is a licensed clinical social worker with a private psychotherapy practice. She has taught continuing education classes for therapists at the University of California, Berkeley Extension, Alliant International University, and for various professional associations. While employed by the city and county of San Francisco, she held senior level positions in child welfare, alcoholism treatment, and psychiatry. She has also served as a lecturer on the clinical faculty at the University of California School of Medicine and as executive director of the Jewish Family and Children's Services of the East Bay. Marsha lives in Marin County, California, with her husband of 33 years. She gives their weekly marriage meetings major credit for their lasting happiness together, which inspired her to write her first book, the best-selling Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love. She has led dynamic marriage and communication workshops and is a popular speaker at conferences. Last month, Marsha published her second book, which is titled Marriage Minded, An A-to-Z Dating Guide for Lasting Love. Her new book affirms the universal need for loving relationships and makes wanting to be married a valid choice and a worthwhile goal for smart, strong, and independent women of all ages, as well as for the men who respect and appreciate them. Marsha is also a featured contributor to the First Date Stories blog, which I'm so happy about. When you go to the blog, you'll find her article, Can I Be Vulnerable With Him?, and the article we just published this week, titled, Is He Ready for Marriage? Put Him to the Test. Hi, Marsha. Thank you so much for joining me this episode.
0: Oh, hi, Jody. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. Now, as I mentioned, you're well known for creating the concept of marriage meetings, writing a book about it, and working with numerous couples to help them implement this technique. And you also hold marry with confidence workshops. So you've talked to a lot of couples and a lot of singles. So many people are looking for the perfect spouse. Is there such a thing? Here's the problem with that idea, Jody.
0: If you're looking for the perfect spouse, what does that say about what you have to be? Perfect. (laughs) Are you ready for that? So, there's no such thing as a perfect spouse. And I think it would be very dangerous uh, for us if there were, because that would be a lot for us to live up to to be the right match for that person. We all have our imperfections, and it's a matter of learning how to accept the ones that you can live with and to know what's a deal breaker.
1: So, in that case, what should people be looking for?
0: They should be looking for similar values or enough similar values and spiritual or religious compatibility, intellectual compatibility. And then various character traits that are one of the most neglected traits of uh, that people just forget to think about is kindness. I think kindness, it, it just goes such a long way for keeping a relationship good, both people knowing how important it is to be kind and to give the benefit of the doubt when it's a good idea to do that. And, you know, instead of judging, being more understanding. So kindness and many other character traits, honesty, everybody could make their list of what they especially want to have
1: in a lifelong partner. Very true. And I couldn't agree with you more that kindness is critical in a relationship, but it's really so important in our everyday interactions as we go about our business in life, don't you think? I think so, for sure. And the same traits that make for
0: a good lifelong marriage partnership, they tend to extend into other relationships
1: also with co-workers, friends, and family members. Yes, very true. Very true. Okay, you do a lot of meetings. You do marriage meetings. And you can't have a meeting without communicating. <laughs> Right? That's what a meeting's about, is to to be able to effectively communicate with the other people at your meeting, whether Mm -hmm. it's at a business meeting or the marriage meetings that that you have crafted and and brought to so many people. So fill us in on some communication clues that you'd advise women who are dating to look for in a prospective partner.
0: I'm thinking about where to start with that because there are Uh, In my first book, Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love, I have chapters that explain in detail how to uh, use seven different communication techniques, and they're all so important. An easy one to start with is I statements instead of the opposite is a you statement. And so if you might initially find yourself, say, slightly annoyed By something that somebody does, let's, let's say you want him to say please when he doesn't say please and he's asking you to do something. And instead of you could, you could kind of destroy the relationship by say, by getting all over him because he didn't say please and saying, you're so rude. You don't say please, but ah. But if you want to communicate kindly, you say, I would love it if you would say please when you ask me to do you a favor. So So that's an I statement. A a you statement is generally telling somebody that they're wrong somehow or bad or blaming them. A nice statement is saying, I'm taking responsibility for what I want, how I feel. I'm expressing my true self in a way that's respectful, both to you and to myself.
1: So that's one communication skill. And a valuable one, it it would seem.
0: Yeah, they all are. And there's there's, um, congruent communication, which is... uh, again being consistent like your words and your body language everything goes together so if you're saying something kind you look kind otherwise it'll be a a mixed message if you look angry when you're saying something that where the words are polite and knowing the importance of nonverbal communication is very important because That's what we tune in most to. We may think the words are the most important thing, but there's research that shows in interpersonal communication, 55% of the communication that people receive is the body language, how we're moving our arms, legs, our shoulders, our facial expression. This is the thing that people take in most. And then there's voice tone, which also goes a long way. That's 38%. The actual words people
1: receive, only 7%. Really? That's really interesting, because we spend a lot of time choosing our words. We spend so much less time thinking about how we're positioning our body and conveying things in that manner. So this is really eye-opening. It's something to be aware of, and it's, it, it does start coming
0: naturally. Like most of the skills, they may feel awkward when we start, but then practice improves it, and it makes it start feeling natural.
1: Which is so important in, in communications. Ultimately, you need to be with somebody who you can communicate with in a very safe, comfortable, open, honest manner. Definitely. Well, unfortunately, there are the times when people cannot master communications and communications fall apart and the relationships can't continue on. You yourself are an adult child of divorce and you write a lot about the impact that your parents' divorce had on your mother. What advice do you have for divorced women who may be hesitant to remarry, especially if they've come out of a painful or difficult ending to their marriage?
0: Jody, I think that's an excellent question because it does affect so many people now. What with you know, half a first marriage is ending in divorce and and higher percentages for second and even third marriages, respectively. It's the people who get divorced and and their children. It it has such a a wide impact on everybody involved. And it's very, very important to let yourself grieve before even trying to get into another relationship to feel whatever you have to feel get therapy if if that may that helps a lot of people if you need a place just to to sound out without necessarily having your friends tell you what you should do or how bad your ex was but to go through what it was like for you and whatever feelings you have but to focus on what you're going through and Eventually, what you've learned from it, if you get to the point where you do want to partner with somebody again, to become very clear on what you want. You mentioned that communication is important, and having good communication is, I would say, it's essential for a good relationship. The other big key is choosing wisely, A lot of people are maybe because of how they grew up, they might have something going on dysfunctional between their parents, and unconsciously they may repeat the same thing and then be disappointed in their marriage. And some people will. Marry somebody with an issue, the same issue, you know, uh, more than once, whether the really serious ones, like, like if they've been abused by their spouse and then they marry another abuser, God forbid, or somebody with a severe addiction or somebody who's verbally abusive. You want to get your head clear on what kind of relationship you truly deserve rather than automatically going into something that may be more destructive for you than constructive.
1: That is very important advice. You mentioned that people sometimes have a tendency to go back to the same type of person that they were with before, even though that relationship was an unhealthy one for them. Can you dig into that a little deeper, please, and kind of explain why that happens?
0: Yeah, there's a psychodynamic term that many therapists know about called the repetition compulsion. And that refers to something that happens to a lot of us that comes very naturally, and that is to communicate with a partner in a way that replicates how we saw our parents communicating and how it went in our family. So if there was a lot of blaming... Uh, and even verbal abuse, a woman might stay with a partner who's basically disrespectful to her because of what's called the repetition compulsion. And the strange thing is that there's an odd kind of comfort in the familiar. And if you think about the word familiar, it relates to the word family. Family. And and that's why it's familiar, because our formative years are spent in a place where we pick up everything and it doesn't go away. We are likely to repeat it if we don't say, hey, I'm going to gain some self-awareness about why I'm not moving forward in my life or in my relationship the way I want to. and And we can change if we have a combination of the will and whatever kind of help we need
1: to secure that help. Thank you for delving into that. And I did not know that familiar was derived from the word family, but in the context in which you share that, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. Now, I spoke about divorce. We also have listeners who are widows and widows can feel that by dating again, they're betraying their deceased spouse but they do want to find a next partner. So how can those who've lost a spouse enter the dating scene again in a very healthy and self-forgiving and self-affirming way?
0: Well, similarly, in some ways to somebody who has been hurt by divorce, both losses. And it is important to grieve a loss and to grieve it for as long and as thoroughly as you need to before you're going to be ready to move on and be able to shift your energy into a new relationship. So the key word for me is to grieve. To take the time to grieve. Take as long as you need and don't listen to anybody who says you should be done in one year or five years or or six months. Everybody has their own timetable.
1: While somebody is grieving the end of a relationship, are there things that you advise them to do to help them move through that experience at whatever pace is right for them? Again, uh, I'm saying the word again and again, the,
0: to be able to grieve, to feel the pain, to feel the loss, and also to find whatever kind of learning you can gain from that experience if you want to have something different in your next relationship. For example, if you didn't assert yourself and you just let the other person basically dominate you, where you end up feeling like like a victim and also not really a very exciting partner if if you're not expressing yourself. So maybe you'll think through that, you know, how do I let that happen? And what do I want to do differently next time? And again, either I do this alone, with friends, with a mentor, or with a therapist, wherever you're going to get the best kind of help you need. It's it's hard to do
1: it alone. Yes, I'm sure it is. It's hard to do much of anything in life alone it's often easier to have a friend or some sort of support system to help one through both the good mm-hmm. times and the challenging times, right?
0: Right. Yeah, we're not meant to be alone. Many of us need time for ourselves. We need our own space too. But to know that, that there are other people in our life who care about us and whose company we enjoy and they enjoy our company, it's part of life.
1: It is. We've talked about people coming out of relationships. Now let's look at people going into relationships through dating, which takes us to your book, your new book, Marriage Minded, an A to Z dating guide for lasting love. Why did you write this book and what are you hoping to achieve with it?
0: Well, I wrote the book because I have discovered that (laughs) My mission, or at least a major purpose of my being on Earth, is to help people create fulfilling marriages, whether they're already married or whether they want to be married. I wrote the book with women in mind because I understand women uh, probably you know, better than men, being a woman uh, myself, although I think the book can be helpful to men and women, whether they're married or single. And another reason I I was thinking about why I wrote the book is that I wrote it the way I wrote it because I love words. I love word games. And this idea came into me that there's so much information about how to date constructively and create a great marriage and how do you put it all together. So I combined my love of words with my desire to do something very thorough. I am a thorough perfectionist type person for better or worse. So I made the book in order of the alphabet, where it's like A is for attitude, A is for anxiety, A is for awesome, to remember you are, and going through the alphabet and having maybe an average of a page or two, sometimes less, sometimes more, on each entry that's under each letter. So like there's chapter A has maybe four or five entries underneath it. I mentioned a couple of them like so, th- I I don't know if I've explained that too well, but that's the basic structure of the book: is going through the alphabet and talking about uh, what's going to make for a good, constructive dating experience that leads to a fulfilling marriage that's fulfilling emotionally and spiritually as well as financially and physically.
1: I, I do think that the structure of the book is quite clever. You've organized it into four sections. And like you just said, each section is structured like a dictionary with terms that relate to the topic of each section. And the book has quotes in it, illustrations throughout, some introspective exercises for readers to do. These four sections, I'm curious why you called out each of those specifically, especially the first and the third ones as part of what one needs to be focused on as you move towards a lasting, loving marriage. Could you explain that a bit, please?
0: Oh, yeah. Thank you for
1: asking that, Jody, because I think this is
0: important for people to know about. The first section is called overcoming obstacles. Many women are afraid to date or afraid to even go out and meet people because they have these attitudes that are getting in their way. For example, under A is for attitude, I list a number of attitudes that we can call them obstacles or we can call them obstacle illusions. And and they are illusions like, oh, I'm not gonna go to meet men because all the good men are married. Or I'm not gonna go to this event or, or try online dating because they all want a younger woman or a thinner woman Or a uh, smarter woman or a richer (laughs) woman. You know, we put all, all these ideas that we could put in our head that are holding us back. So, so I address them in that section and, and also other ones. Like if people are anxious, just anxious that they're not going to say the right thing on a date or, or they'll say too much or they won't be liked for one reason or another. All these are obstacles to confront and to move past so that you can move on and start having a successful dating relationship Uh, the second section is about constructive dating and I think the third section that you wanted to hear more about is committing is that right
1: Jodi that is right yes committing because Uh, it comes mm -hmm. before marriage in your sequence so yes (laughs)
0: So the committing section, that's a crucial point. You date for a while, and then how long do you want to date? When do you know that you're ready to move up to the next level? And it's different for different people. I know I say everybody should have their own timetable, but I do encourage people to take uh, ideally at least six months before deciding that I want this to lead to marriage because infatuation might have you going for three months and then maybe three months or longer to just see how you get along once you've passed the initial woo-woo time and finding out whether you have enough of the important factors that will contribute to a good marriage and whether you feel respected by each other, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, enough common values and interests and having conversations about what you are looking for in marriage, if you're young enough to know whether you want to have children or not, or what I actually try to encourage people to find that out really early, because you don't want to spend a long time dating somebody who has different goals from you. But but there will still be the logical uh, questions like, how are we going to handle money? And how do we decide where we're going on vacations, just things that you can find out whether you're going to basically be able to agree on enough that you'll feel satisfied with a
1: person for the long haul. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about your dating journey, please.
0: Oh, I dated a lot of really nice men. They were not necessarily appropriate for me in terms of (laughs) background and values always, but I had basically pretty nice dating experiences. However, my pattern was to push away anybody who hinted at wanting to be serious with me and to go after the non-committal types to the point where my friend's husband, when I was starting to tell my friend the latest story about some guy who, who I liked, but didn't seem like he wanted to get serious, her husband finished the sentence for me. <sighs> so then I realized I had a pattern and <laughs> wow. I think about it right away. <laughs> But eventually, I did get some good therapy and also some good mentoring. And at a certain point, I realized that, and, and I guess the backstory is, as you mentioned, my parents were divorced, and and I witnessed the the pain that we all felt around the divorce. So unconsciously, I probably was afraid that I would not succeed at marriage or that I would be abandoned or whatever was going on
1: there kept me from getting committed to anybody. And then it became your life's passion and mission, eventually, to to help people to get past their challenges if they have them? I think them. so,
0: yeah. Although I was doing couple therapy way, way before I got married. I, I was the uh, expert at the agency where I was working at the time because I, I just loved doing it and I had received some very good training. I thought it was amazing that I had the pattern. Then I found out how common it was. So there I was, you know, having this what do I call it? Going nowhere relationships with men, and and yet I was helping people to create better marriages <laughs> and other relationships. So, so that was you know, it's just kind of ironic for me.
1: It is, but hey, that's where you were at that stage of your life. You were able to help them, and you needed counseling yourself. Right. Um, We can't be
0: objective about our own lives. So it's not really that strange, but it's just a lot of people think, oh, therapist, she must have it all together. But we're all human beings. It's more that we know how to conceptualize our issues maybe, but it's not that we don't have them.
1: Understood. Yes, we all have issues. Every person walking this planet has some issues. Uh, Yeah. In your book, you write that every good marriage is a miracle. Why do you regard good marriages as miracles? So I think we, we might be able to call this a miracle that we have two
0: people who have some similarities and some differences, and it's very easy to think this person is not right for me because... He likes to watch a different TV show from me or root for a different baseball team or whatever. You know, these are really trivial things, but maybe some things that are bigger, but don't have to be deal breakers. But you can get two people. And let's face it, we all are basically have to have some selfishness in order to survive, to do what's good for us. But then to get into a union where you're with somebody and you can have differences and yet thrive on the differences and grow together to where you're feeling like you have a true partner in the world and you're there for each other through thick and thin. It's not always deliriously happy. Life has ups and downs. Relationships have ups and downs. But you have the kind of commitment that you value what you have enough that
1: you're going to do whatever it takes to keep it thriving. And when that all comes together, it's a miracle. That makes sense. I read that you advise women who want to be in a relationship, and I presume this pertains to women who want to get married and don't want to get married, they just want a long term partner. You advise them to create three lists. Can you walk us through what those lists are?
0: I'd love to. The first list is. What are you looking for in a partner? What traits do you value and want in a partner? And write anything you want. It could be physical. It could be spiritual, emotional, values, interests, whatever's really important to you. I'm going to go back to this list. I'll tell you each list first, and then we'll go back to explain it more. I think I said 10 for the first list. You know, you can make a number, any number you want, but I think 10 is a nice, simple number. And then the second list is 10 traits or characteristics or things that you can contribute to the relationship that's likely to be valued by your potential or future partner. And then the third list is five characteristics about yourself that might Call for a little improvement in the mind of your partner or yourself, you know, areas where you can grow. Now, the first list we go back to and separate what's a want and what's a need. Does he really have to be over six feet tall for you to be happy? Is it more important? We mentioned kindness already. Should kindness be on there? Is it more important that he be have some creative passion or is it more important that he be emotionally stable? You know, pick out what what you really need so that you know what the main things are. Okay, then the second one is what you have to offer, and that's really, really important. Some women don't have the self-esteem to realize what valuable treasures they are for the right person. And then the third list uh, is to recognize, you know, you're talking about the perfect partner. So it's a good idea to have some humility that you have room to grow. And maybe this will help you recognize that we all have room to grow, including a partner. And some things will change, some things will not change. But again, everybody know, needs to know what what are the deal breakers and what are the things that you can learn to live with and
1: accept. That is a really tremendous exercise because it puts person in the place of really thinking long and hard about what she thinks she wants and what she really needs in this person who she has yet to meet. And then she turns the mirror on herself and looks at what she brings to a partnership, both from the perspective of a lot of wonderful characteristics and assets and all the beauty that she has within and outside of herself and then where are the areas that she can maybe improve over time to be even a better partner down the line That's all about growth yes it seems like it's all about growth and it's all about knowing yourself mm-hmm. as as much as anything else And and accepting, accepting
0: yourself, the good, the ugly, you know, everything. But altogether, it should feel like I have self-esteem. I deserve to have a good marriage, and I don't expect myself to be perfect. We all have imperfections,
1: and I have many wonderful traits, too. So if you've put together the first list, and you've got those 10 needs listed out, how do you know how many boxes need to be checked for that person that you meet to really be that right partner for you?
0: It's pretty amazing how often once we make the list, we find somebody who fits it pretty well. A, a realistic list, you know, it doesn't have to be Brad Pitt on the list, <laughs> but, but, but a, a real a realistic list. I, I think when you when we know what we really want, we kind of screen out what we don't want. And we move towards that, right? Yeah. It's But I, I think that there really is something to that. That we, when when we know what we want very
1: clearly, it comes to us. I thought I knew what I wanted, and I put that list together and I put it away, and that person did not show up. So
0: <laughs> well, that's interesting. Was <laughs> yes. it a good list?
1: It was too long. It was uh, way too long how for many? starters oh my gosh, it was like a page and a half. This was when I was in my mid-30s and I just had this super long list. It did not lead me to my person at that time. I'm not saying it wasn't a worthwhile exercise. I think part of it was that it was way too long,
0: way it too also, long. Oh, yeah. It, it could also be a readiness factor, you know, if, if you're when you're not ready. I know someone else who said, though, she had a list, and she's been married, like, I don't know, 40, 50 years, and she didn't want anyone who smoked, and it turned out her husband smoked, but she still married him. So, you know, people know what's a deal breaker. Yes, they do. And, and everything on your list doesn't have to be a deal breaker.
1: Very true. Very true. So I I, th- I think it's a terrific tool. How often do you suggest people revisit their list? Because we are changing beings, right? We've all changed over this past year with the pandemic, right? We're mm-hmm. we're all different than we were in the start of 2020. We are all g- gauging our process of finding a partner in a different manner.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of it is is knowing yourself and what what's gonna be valuable for you to do in, as you go through the process of knowing who you are and what, what you truly need to be happy in a relationship.
1: Marcia, you have a therapy practice. You run marriage meetings. You've got Mary with Confidence workshops. You're now out with your second book. You are a busy woman with a lot to offer. Where can listeners learn about you to buy your book and to get in touch with you. Okay,
0: so you can go to my website marriage meetings with an s on it, marriagemeetings.com to find out a lot about what I do and about my books and therapy and you can subscribe to my free newsletter about marriage and relationships and communications. That's on the home page of my website. And the book is available uh, that, well, both of my books are available on Amazon and also probably it might be in your bookstore, depending where you are, you can ask for it from your bookstore. And let's see how else to get in touch with me. Um, you know, You, you can uh, call me or email me if you want, and that's all on my website
1: also. Lots of ways to get in touch with you and lots of great information and guidance and wisdom for you to share with people. Thank you, Marsha, for being with me this episode, talking with me this episode about all things marriage-minded. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast.
0: Oh, well, Thank you so much, Jody. I've enjoyed being here and appreciate your invitation.
1: listening to this episode. If you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And you can subscribe there or wherever you're listening right now. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And also, check out our blog at FirstDateStories.com, where we celebrate singledom, talk about self-care, explore what might be keeping you from finding the right partner, and dish out some dating. And now, for a quick run-through of The Legalese, this podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as professional advice for our listeners. We suggest that you always consult with your own personal coaches and advisors. First Aid Stories does not recommend or endorse or object to the views or topics expressed on this podcast. Also, the names of the guests have been changed for privacy purposes. The producer of the podcast is Sarah Singer Schiff, and the show is brought to you by Espoir Ventures. First Date Stories is here to help you be your best self, cheer you on, and encourage you to keep going on first dates, because beyond on your next first date could be the lifelong love you're seeking.